Welcome everybody to church today. Uh, And this is a special Sunday. If you didn't already know, it's a Sunday that we call Pentecost. How many of you knew that today was Pentecost Sunday? Yes? Amen. And did you know that we are considered a Pentecostal church? There are many churches in the world and many different denominations, all of them serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but we, we identify with that title or with that name, Pentecostal. And many people have asked me, well, what does that mean? And so, in short, let me just tell you what it means to me to be Pentecostal. To me, it means that when I read the New Testament and I see what God was doing in the church in the book of Acts, when I see God pouring out His Spirit upon the disciples and all the followers of Christ, and then the church began to explode with new people being saved, with the Holy Spirit working in them in power, giving gifts to the church in order for them to build each other up. When I read the New Testament, being Pentecostal to me means God is still working in the church today as He did in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit is still moving in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus Christ and still empowering Christians to live a holy life, to live a life that is devoted to the Lord Jesus. And I also believe as a Pentecostal, to be a Pentecostal, it means to learn through the working of the Holy Spirit to see the world as Jesus sees the world. To see a world that is in darkness and in sin and needs to be saved. And being Pentecostal means, Holy Spirit, send me into the world. I will go where you tell me to go. And I will speak to whomever you wish I speak to. I want people to be saved. To me, that's what it means to be a Pentecostal. And so for all of you here today that are maybe new to a Pentecostal church, well, maybe that's just a brief summary of what it means, at least to me, to be in this sort of church. And I'm so happy to be in a church like we have. And I'm so happy to see what God is doing in all of us. Amen? And we want even more. For God to move even more in our midst and in Samarang and in Indonesia and all the ends of the earth. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, we are going to do today what we did on Good Friday And what we did right around Easter time, we didn't go away from the Beatitudes, as our series has been involved with. We continued in the Beatitudes, but we looked at it in light of Good Friday. Blessed are those who mourn, is what we talked about on Good Friday. And right around Easter time, we talked about blessed are the meek, in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Well, today is Pentecost. The day we remember that the Holy Spirit began to be poured upon the church. That's today. But it doesn't mean we've got to leave the Beatitudes to talk about it. No, because there is a connection between today's final Beatitude. There's a connection between persecution and Pentecost. And so it's very fitting that the Holy Spirit would bring us to this place here today. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 5. And we're not going to read all the Beatitudes like we've been. We're only going to read verses 10, 11, and 12 
because there's another scripture uh, I want to bring you to as well, which will be 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 16. So if in your phones or in your iPads or in your... Does anybody have a real Bible today? I'm looking around. There, there's one. Good job, Louisa. There's still some of these Bibles around. Amen. Well, whatever Bible you do have, turn to Matthew 5 and also to 1 Peter chapter 4. And let's stand together and read this. Beginning with Matthew, the final beatitude. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 16, Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let, not, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now let me just read that again, verse 16 in the NIV version, because I really like it. Verse 16 says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know when believers were first called Christians, it wasn't a term of endearment. It was a term of mockery. Followers of Christ, and they hated these Christians. But Peter says, if you suffer because you're a Christian, praise God that you bear that name, Christian. Even though it may have been used as a slur against believers in Christ, today, are you proud to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ? Amen. Praise God that you bear that name, Christian. Today we're going to speak on the topic of the fire of Pentecost. That's today's sermon title. And of course, we're going to look at the beatitude we just read, but we're also going to read from the book of Acts as well a little bit later. But just as an introduction, I want you to remember how we began the beatitudes. And I want you to remember the illustration at least I thought of to give to you to, to show you what the beatitudes mean. It's not about what we are doing for Jesus. It's about who we are in Christ. And I said it's kind of like watching a flower, a rose or a flower blossoming and blooming. 
and every layer of petals opens up to give way to the next layer of petals. And to me, the Beatitudes is like a Christian who is growing and blossoming into the image of Jesus Christ. With that said, in the Beatitudes, what we're talking about is a life that is growing in Christ. Thinking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, an attitude like Christ, loving like Jesus. Jesus, if you want to talk about a blossoming flower, Jesus was the most beautiful flower the world had ever seen. Amen? Perfect, holy, righteous, well-pleasing to the Father. His life was the most beautiful life that ever came into this world. But also remember that as beautiful as he was and altogether lovely his life was, what did the world do to Jesus? In all that beauty and loveliness, what did the world do with him? What did the world think about him and do to him? They hated him rejected him, they beat him, and they crucified him. There's a song that we sing, I believe it's called Above All. And in the song, there's that phrase we sang that Jesus was like a rose trampled on the ground. So here we are, blossoming as a flower in the image of Christ. And let me ask you, what do you think the world will think about a Christian who's blossoming in the image of Jesus? Jesus said, in speaking to his disciples before his crucifixion, he said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If the world hated Jesus, you can be sure as you grow in his image, the world will hate you. Because just like Jesus, his life didn't belong here in the world. They didn't know what to do with it. It was such a bright light. They didn't know how to deal with it. Your life as it grows in Christ, the world will look at you like you're a foreigner and that you don't belong here. And the truth is they're right because we belong to the kingdom of heaven. And the more we grow in Christ, he separates us from the world. We are in the world, but Jesus says we are not of the world. We're not made of the stuff of the world. We're made of heavenly stuff. <laughs> and one day we shall go there to be with Jesus. And so in today's sermon, the fire of Pentecost, Jesus knew that persecution will come for all those who walk with Christ. But Jesus, knowing that persecution was coming, he already knew how to provide for his people in persecution. He already knew what the answer would be against the fires of persecution. So today in our sermon, we're going to discuss three things. Number one, the certainty of persecution. Number two, the spoken promise. And number three, the spirit of Pentecost. All right, so let's begin with number one, the certainty of persecution. Look at this beatitude again. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This last blessing, number eight of the Beatitudes, is upon those who suffer for Jesus Christ. Not suffering because of their mistakes, not suffering because of their sins and crimes or their wrong attitudes, not suffering because of their own selfish pride, but suffering because they hunger and they thirst for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They want to be like Jesus. And this blessing is for them. Their lives are being molded into the image of Christ, and Christ lives in them. Persecution comes because the world sees us as foreigners. We don't belong. We don't fit in. And as you grow in Christ, this is a truth that you just can't hide. You're a foreigner. You're a pilgrim traveling through the world on your way home one day, and you can't help it. You can't hide it the more you grow in Christ. It's in the way you speak. It's in the way you think. It's in the way you make decisions. And it's in the way you love other people. It's like walking in this sin-filled world as though there's a fragrance on you. And as you walk by people in life, that fragrance reminds people that Christ lives in you. And the more you walk with Jesus, you can't hide it. It's all over you like fragrance. And I love the blessing that Jesus gives. Did you notice it? What's the blessing? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you notice that? What's familiar about that? It's the very first blessing of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he ends it with, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like Jesus has given us bookends to this life of Christ. And it holds us in on every side. And it reminds us for the rest of our life here on earth, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We belong to the king of kings. We belong to heaven's kingdom. What a wonderful blessing to have. Something going on over there. Maybe I'm talking too loud. What a wonderful truth and promise to hold deep in our hearts that as we walk through this life, we belong to Jesus and we have an eternal hope. Amen. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Do you know, up until now, in all the Beatitudes, Jesus has been talking about those people, those, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he also says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for they shall be filled, for they shall be comforted. But now, in this last beatitude, his language changes. He says, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted. But now he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Do you remember when Jesus is speaking on this mountain? He's speaking to his disciples, but also to all the multitudes that have come to gather together to hear him. But I picture him now as he begins to speak about persecution. I believe when he says you, he's looking right into the eyes of his disciples. Each one of them, as their eyes are locked on Jesus and their hearts are hanging on every word that he says, Jesus knew the persecution that each and every one of his disciples would go through. And so now he speaks directly to them. I picture him looking at James, and he knows that James will be his first disciple who was killed for his faith. King Herod, in his wrath against the church, will kill James with the sword. Jesus looks at James and he knows what's coming. He also looks at John, James's brother. John, the youngest of all the disciples. And he knows that John is going to be hated. They're going to hate him so much they just want to banish him from civilization. Send him on an island of Patmos where he can die and suffer all by himself. Just get him away from us. Jesus looked at Peter, and he knew that Peter, in fact, he even told Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, that Peter would be crucified on a cross one day. Jesus looks in the eyes of his disciples, and he says, blessed are you, because they're going to revile you. They're going to persecute you, and they will speak falsely against you for my sake. Jesus knew every trial, every fire that his disciples would walk through. And he also knows every trial you will walk through. Nothing, nothing is hidden from him. He knows what's ahead of you. Today we suffer many forms of persecution in the church as a whole. There are many kinds of persecution today. Persecution today is like the lady who once told me that when she found Jesus and changed her lifestyle and left that lifestyle, her friends left her. It's like the pastor that I know who is in another country today preaching the gospel of Jesus, but in his country, in his society, they look at a minister as the absolute lowest person, as nothing in fact, they ridicule him, and they mock him, and they say all kinds of evil things against him, as he is supposed to be a foolish man. It's like a family that I know that when they became Christian, they had to flee their country because the threat of imprisonment for life was upon them. And it's like the thousands of people that you and I may never meet in this lifetime. We have brothers and sisters scattered all over the world who are being hunted down today and being killed, burned, cut down, shot, hanged, all because they believe in Jesus Christ. 
all over the world, wherever Christians are, the fire of persecution is blazing. Jesus says in the face of all of it, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is nothing new. They've been persecuting the people of God from the beginning of time. It began with Cain killing faithful Abel. And ever since then, God's people have been persecuted. Jesus says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What kind of a person rejoices in their suffering? Hang on to that thought. We'll answer it later. So how would the disciples and Christians all throughout time, how will they endure? Jesus had the answer. And he was already planning it, and he already promised it before persecution ever arose. So number two, let's look at the spoken promise. I'll have these verses for you on the screen. You don't have to turn to it. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Jesus died and rose again. He spent 40 days visiting with his disciples and hundreds of other people saw him in his resurrection body. And just before, in body, he ascended into heaven to sit down on the throne. He spoke to his disciples who saw him face to face. They knew he was crucified and now he's alive forevermore. He spoke to them and said this, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Oh, I'm sure they wanted to as quickly as possible. Start preaching the gospel, the good news. Jesus said, not yet. He said, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which, he said, you have heard from me. For truly John baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus said the promise of the Father was coming. And notice he says, which you have heard from me. That means Jesus has spoken about this before. He's told them about what is coming before. It didn't all begin in Acts chapter 1. He's already spoken to them about the Holy Spirit. When? Well, like in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, there's a long discourse between Jesus and his disciples. And he told them things like he was going to be crucified, that they would not see him, that he was going to a place to prepare a home for them. He was going back to the Father's house, and where he was going, they could not yet Come with him. They weren't sure what he was saying. He also told them, the world is going to hate you. The world has hated me, and the world will hate you. Even your own people will hate you. Even the religious Jews who you've grown up with all your life, they will hate you and persecute you. They will throw you out of the synagogue and throw you out of society. And then they will kill you. All in the name of God, as they suppose. But they do it because they don't know God. 
They do it because they do not believe in the Father or in the Son. Nevertheless, Jesus told them, persecution is coming. Now the disciples are already confused about what's going to happen to Jesus. And I'm sure this talk of persecution, fear began to creep into their hearts. And Jesus knew that. And he said to them, let not your hearts be troubled. But he knew that fear was coming. And so what did he say in those chapters? Over and over and over again, he said, I am sending you the Holy Spirit. When I go to heaven, I will send you the Holy Spirit, your helper, your advocate, your counselor. He will walk with you. He will empower you. He will remind you of everything that I've ever said to you. He will guide you into truth. He will be with you and he will be in you. And when he is in you, Jesus said, I will also be with you, me and my father. And so when the disciples remembered that persecution was coming, Jesus wanted them to lift their eyes and remember the promise that the Holy Spirit was on his way and he would empower them to endure persecution. And so Jesus says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Lord knew that the fire of persecution would rage against his people, but he already had the answer for it. He was already making provision for it. And what was it? It was the fire of Pentecost that was coming. It was the Holy Spirit indwelling the people of God. Jesus knew, even in the book of Acts, Jesus knew the disciples knew the truth. They had already seen what had happened, that Jesus was alive. They knew what they believed, and they knew why they believed it. They had the truth within them. Yet Jesus knew they needed power. It wasn't enough just to know the truth, to know what they believed and why. They needed power. So Jesus said, don't go anywhere yet. Wait for the promise. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the power that you will receive when he comes upon you. Jesus knew they needed power to be witnesses. He says, you shall be witnesses to me. And once again, just as in the Beatitudes, it's not about what we do. It's about what we are. You shall be witnesses to me. God is not nearly as interested in what you do as he is in what you become in Jesus Christ. He wants us to become witnesses of Jesus Christ, to show all people what it means to be devoted to the Lord, to carry our cross, and to follow Jesus Christ wherever he leads us. You know the word witness that Jesus uses? It comes from the Greek word that means martyr. Martyr simply means a witness. 
But we also use that term today to talk about somebody who is killed because of their testimony. They're killed because of their faith in Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that the Holy Spirit will come to empower you to die as a martyr. It doesn't mean that for all who receive the power of the Holy Spirit will die because of their faith. That's not what Jesus was saying, but His power, the Holy Spirit, His power would burn in their hearts like a holy flame of fire, burning with devotion, burning with courage, burning with a desire to glorify Jesus in life or in death. A fire was coming. It was coming on Pentecost. And soon it would set the world ablaze with men and women and children filled with the Holy Spirit. And church, to all of you today, brothers and sisters in Christ, this fire still burns today. This fire still falls upon believers today. And today, every believer needs to be empowered by the Spirit of God and to have that holy fire of God burning in the heart that we may become witnesses for Christ. Jesus, He wants us to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And He wants us to receive power to become witnesses. Amen. Number three, this day of Pentecost. We call it now part three, the spirit of Pentecost. And if you don't mind, let me just bring you to Acts chapter two, verse one to four. If you'll turn to that in your Bibles, Acts chapter two, verse one to four. When the day of Pentecost came, they, that is the disciples and many other believers, about 120 believers altogether, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All of them, these Christians who already believed in Jesus, they already knew the truth, they were already excited that their Savior lives. But on this day, Jesus began to pour out His Spirit and the Holy Spirit filled them. They were baptized in the Spirit, as John the Baptist said, in the Spirit and in fire. And it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, don't forget the and, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them that utterance. Tongues simply means languages. Languages. It can mean a language of the earth. It can mean a language we don't know, a heavenly language. Whatever language it was, it was the Spirit that gave them this utterance to speak 
in a language. Now, as you can imagine, when all this happened, there were thousands of people in Jerusalem. It's Pentecost. It's a pilgrimage feast, meaning all the Jews and many Gentiles from all over the world, they come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. There were thousands of people there, and I'm sure what just happened, it caught the attention of the thousands of people that were gathered there for the day of Pentecost. And do you know what happened? When they were wondering, what is this? What is going on? What has just happened with these people? The Bible says that Peter stood up. Peter. You remember Peter? Peter. The one who denied Jesus because he was afraid of persecution. Do you remember that? The Peter who, in front of a slave girl, a young girl, who thought he, he looked like somebody who was following Jesus, Peter was so scared of a little girl that he denied Christ. And then two more times he denied Jesus, and then he ran away and sobbed and wept bitterly. But now this same Peter has been empowered to be a witness for Christ. And Peter, the same Peter, now stands up. He doesn't run. He doesn't hide. He stands up. And when he did, all the other disciples stood with him as one unit of people. And Peter began to preach the gospel to all those people that were there. And he said, this is the promise that the Holy Spirit would be poured upon us. This is what you see. This is what you hear. And he preached the gospel to them. And in the end of his sermon, 3,000 people, just like that, were convicted in their hearts and gave their lives to Jesus Christ right then and right there. Peter, who once was afraid, no longer. What was the difference? Because Jesus rose from the dead? No. Because he knew the truth? No. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave him courage and boldness and power to proclaim the gospel. And through that working of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people came to Jesus Christ. And once all that happened, as you continue to read through Acts, you see a church characterized by love for each other, growing in love for each other, growing in unity. There was miraculous power that God was demonstrating through the church. There was prayer. There was worship. And the church was growing by the thousands, day after day and week after week. And the Spirit of God kept being poured upon more people, Jews and Gentiles. People who believe for a long time and people who believe for just a few seconds and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now as you can imagine, when this took place, persecution came. The Bible says not too long after this, Peter and John were arrested because the religious Jews didn't like what was going on. They saw thousands of people turning to Christ, and they didn't like it. 
They rejected Christ. They hated Christ. And they, they hated this newborn church. So they arrested Peter and John. Later on, they arrested all the disciples. And they didn't know quite what to do with them. Because when they talked to them, they knew that these disciples are not well-educated men, yet they speak with power. They speak with authority. They've never seen anything like it. They didn't know what to do with them in this great courage and boldness that they had. They finally came to the conclusion, ah, these men have been with Jesus. Wow, I love that. I would love if someone said to me, oh, you must have been with Jesus. Wouldn't you love for people to know that about you? That you evidently have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They knew this about them. They didn't know what they do, so they did two things. Number one, they said, stop preaching the name of Jesus. Stop. We forbid you to speak of his name any longer. You know what Peter said? We're not going to stop. Why? Because we are simply witnesses of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when Peter spoke those words, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so then they decided, you can release them from their prison, but beat them. All of them. Beat them. And in the Jewish tradition, they would have whipped each one of those disciples 39 times. 39 lashes to teach them. You will be punished if you continue to speak. You will be thrown in prison if you continue. You will die if you continue to preach the name of Jesus. They beat them all. Now what do you suppose the disciples did when they left that prison? How do you think they felt about what had just happened? You think they were afraid? You think they were wondering how to hide? How to run away? Think of a new job in life? How do you think they felt when they were beaten viciously and threatened and they knew that eventually persecution would lead to their own death? How did they feel? The Bible tells us, Acts chapter 5, verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council. And what were they doing? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. That word means they were leaping up and down, shouting, praising the Lord, filled with gladness and joy. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They rejoiced. Now I asked you before, Jesus said, blessed are you, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What kind of people rejoice in suffering? The people who belong to Jesus Christ. The people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The people who have been empowered to be witnesses for Christ. And let me end with this question. What do you do with a people who are not afraid to die for Christ? What can the world do with a people who are not afraid to suffer, not afraid of persecution, not afraid to die for their faith? What can be done about them? Nothing. The world can't do anything about it. The church marches on. Amen? 
We must pursue the call of God in our lives. Unafraid, unashamed. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. And I say, oh, if only we as God's people, if only we could say, Lord Jesus, my desire is to be like you. And I want to follow you. And I want to be that blossoming flower in this world. I know what it will mean. I know the persecution that may come. So Jesus, as you have promised, baptize me in your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Embolden me. Give me power to be a witness for you. Oh, if only the church would say such things to God. Would you be willing to say that? Would you be willing to express that desire to the Lord Jesus today? We are a Pentecostal church. We believe the Holy Spirit is still on the move. When Peter said that God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, that was an ancient prophecy. And it began on the day of Pentecost. And it will not be finished until the Lord Jesus returns. Today, God will pour out His Spirit upon you. If only you will believe and ask. The rest is up to you. Musicians, would you come forward? And singers? We learned a new song just before our sermon today. And in the song, in the words, we express the desire to be more like Jesus. And as I was thinking about today's sermon and praying about it, that God will touch your heart, in my mind I thought if there's one thing that I want each and every one of you to take away from this sermon, I want you to desire to be like Jesus. And I want you to desire to receive power to be a witness for Christ. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is moving in your hearts today and stirring up that passion and desire in you. Fire still falls from heaven upon those who will believe. Let's stand together. Let's sing together. And then we're going to pray together. Praise God.